But in that process, we also recognize that uh, change isn't something that just happens in the summer, right, or, or in one season. Uh, change is an inevitable part of our lives. Many of us will experience change in the season ahead uh, with changing uh, houses or jobs, uh, experience change in relationships and in many of our lifestyles. So the question is never whether or not we will experience change, right? Change is always a part of life. The question really is always how will we respond when change comes? Will we embrace it, and will we ultimately allow God to use change as a, as a classroom for life to teach us new things about himself and who we are, or will we ignore the change and allow it to overwhelm our lives? And we've talked about this many times here at Faith Covenant Church, where we recognize healthy things grow, and growing things change. If, if you're a healthy person, if you have healthy kids, uh, we grow as human beings, and when we grow, we change, right? And kids are constantly changing. They're getting taller, and their feet are getting bigger, and we have, have to buy new clothes all the time because they're growing out of them. If our kids are healthy, they're going to grow, and as they grow, they're going to change. And part of our, our parenting is to help them navigate the changes of life at each stage. And, and as adults, we're really no different. According to the Bible, we never really stop growing. And, and if we never stop growing in Christ, then, then we're never not changing in our lives. In reality, the Christian life is really all about change. Right? The fact that Jesus is alive means that everything changes for us. Life becomes a, a lifelong journey of following Jesus and becoming more and more like him as we allow God to transform our hearts and our minds to take on his character and his love in our lives and in our relationships. This morning, I want to focus in on a key passage from 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. We're also looking a little bit at the life of Joseph, but I want to start us in this passage here uh, in verses 17 and 18, where the apostle Paul tells us, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, are being changed into his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, when we say yes to Jesus, his gift to us is the presence of himself. It's the presence of God through his Spirit in our lives. And the gift of God's presence comes with the gift of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in our lives. And, and that gift isn't a one-time gift. It's a constant, ongoing gift. We live in a state of grace when we say yes to Jesus and we live in the presence and the power of God. That's why it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. See, we're not only freed from our own past mistakes and, and the sins that we have in our lives, but we are set free to learn how to live in a whole new way, to be changed from the inside out. As we walk in relationship with God, his character rubs off on us. How many of you had friends that have rubbed off on you, either good or bad, <laughs> Right? But we know that in relationship, you know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When we walk in relationship with people of intimacy and closeness and commitment, we cannot help but be changed by who they are in our lives. 
after meeting with God face to face, if you go back and read the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, Moses wore a veil over his face in order to shield the people from the glory of God that shone on his face from from meeting with God face to face because they were afraid of the glory of God. So he had to to, to put a veil over his face to to protect the people from being afraid. And, And what the apostle Paul tells us later here in Corinthians is that the veil prevented the Israelites from seeing a temporary glory of God in Moses that that would soon fade away. See, the change that happened in Moses from meeting with God face to face was a temporary change. It was a temporary glory that over time faded away. But unlike Moses, who, who wore that veil to conceal that temporary glory of God from the old covenant, in Jesus, Paul tells us, we now, like Moses, have the opportunity to live with God in a face-to-face relationship. We can meet God personally and have a relationship with him. But unlike Moses, the glory of God permanently transforms who we are from glory to glory. He says, in an ever-increasing glory in our lives. See, when we say yes to Jesus, we behold the glory of God in our lives and we are transformed by his goodness. We're transformed by his loving kindness. We're transformed by his grace in our lives so that we too become more grace-filled, loving, forgiving people with one another. And it's in that sense that our encouragement as Christians as we grow in the character of Christ in us is that we want to learn how to keep the change as a permanent and lasting change in our lives. That's why he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We think on it, we reflect on it, we sit in God's presence and we talk with God about it. We are being transformed, changed into his image. Now, the last thing I think uh, we can take away from this verse this morning is that we also have to recognize that this isn't something that we achieve in our own strength, right? Right? What is it said? It it, it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's not because of how good we are. It's because of how good God is. This is the gift that God brings to us when we turn to Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to lead us and to teach us about what His will is for our lives and to trust that His will is the best plan. It's a good plan, and it's so much better than we could ever do in our own strength, or even in our own imagination. You see, when we say yes to Jesus, Paul is telling us is that the the veil that hides God's glory from us is taken away, and we get to behold his glory face to face. We get to see life in a whole new way. We get to see with the eyes of Christ the love and the grace and the mercy that God has for you and for me and for everyone. God doesn't want to punish us, and God doesn't want to harm us. He doesn't want to steal our fun. He wants to protect us. He wants to bring us healing and wholeness and put us on a path that's going to allow us to experience the goodness of what his righteousness can accomplish in our lives. When we see Jesus for who he really is and we realize the glory of God that is present in Christ, we are forever changed. Now, I, I don't know what season of change you might be in. 
or that you're moving toward. You might be anticipating a season coming. You might be going to a new school this next fall, and so you're already anticipating what that's going to look like in a whole new set of of friends. Or, Or you might be graduating this summer and going off to college for the very first time. You might be newly married and navigating this whole new relationship of sharing life together in a new way. Or or you might be a a new parent or a parent for the first time or a first-time grandparent. Uh, You might be about to become empty nesters for the very first time. (laughs) Woo-hoo, right? (laughs) We also have been acknowledging that for many of us, change isn't always something to cheer for, right? Right? Change can be a hard season in our lives. It it may be something that that we didn't expect and that we didn't choose. Maybe you lost a job or you're having to go through a major career transition. Maybe you got a a diagnosis and, and you've been given a chronic illness that you didn't choose and that you don't want and you have to figure out how to navigate that for the rest of your life. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one that you didn't want to say goodbye to yet. Or maybe your marriage has fallen apart and uh, the forever until death do us part that you thought was there turns out to not be the reality for you. See, often the hardest changes that we go through are the ones that we didn't choose and that we didn't see coming. And yet, the Bible challenges us to focus, even in the midst of those hardest changes, to understand one of the biggest opportunities we have when we are experiencing change is to recognize that you are never more teachable than in a time of transition. You are never more teachable than in a season of change. And so in the first week we talked about, in order for us to keep the change, those positive learning experiences and growing experiences in our lives, we have to learn to be teachable. Even in the most difficult circumstances of our lives, God can begin to teach us new things about ourselves and about him if we're willing to trust in him and to be teachable in our own lives. And then in week two, we also acknowledge that we have to recognize that there are dangers that come with seasons of change as well, right? Because change can throw you off balance. When, when, when you're in a season of, of kind of an uphill challenge in your life, the ground begins to become unstable. It begins to become uh, not flat anymore. And so it's easy for us to get off balance. And we talked about how when we are off balance in our lives, that's the prime opportunity where the enemy comes and wants to, 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 to create a strike in your life, right? Because it's easier to knock you down when you're already off balance. So spiritually speaking, when we're in the midst of change, we can expect that we're going to also experience temptation in our lives. And as a follower of Jesus, you have to recognize that there's an enemy that would love nothing more than to take advantage of those seasons of change in your life to knock you off balance and to knock you down and to knock you out, right? To destroy your marriage, to, to, to derail your career, to, to throw your relationships off balance, to, to upset the cart in your church so that you're not focusing on the things of God, but you're focusing on the things of human beings. See, in, in a season of change, if we recognize that we are the most susceptible to a strike from the enemy, then we learn that we have to be especially on guard to run from temptation. So if you want to keep the change in your life, you you not only need to be teachable, but you have to be on guard and you have to be willing to run from temptation when it comes because you need to remember that when those temptations come, God is still with you. 
God is right there walking with you and giving you the ability to resist the temptation and to flee from those things in your life and to run to him to be your source of truth and life and love in your life. See, the challenge from the Bible is always to learn to trust that even in times of difficulty and change, God remains faithful to us. He's been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. So learning to run to God and to trust in him in the midst of change is how we learn to keep our balance when life gets off kilter. Now, we've been looking in one particular story in the Bible that comes from the life of Joseph. And Joseph's story is found in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and it covers about 13 chapters. So we haven't had the time to actually read through the story. But last week, I invited you all, for anyone interested, to, to spend some time reading through Joseph's story. If you read you know, a couple chapters a week this week, you could get through it about 15 minutes a day, and you'd be through the whole story in one week. So we're just hitting some highlights to more, learn more about how God works in our lives in and through seasons of change. But we acknowledge that maybe no one in the Old Testament went through more change than Joseph did. If you know the story, Joseph started off the story as a, as a 17-year-old teenager who was dad's favorite. And he had 10 older brothers who were jealous of him because he was dad's favorite. His dad had given him this you know, many-colored robe to, to show how much uh, he thought about how special he was. And, and so his brothers hated him. In fact, they, they hated him so much that they decided to kill him. Right? So they're plotting to kill their brother. I don't know if you have grown up in a dysfunctional family. Uh, many of us have. But, but your brothers and sisters probably haven't plotted to kill you like Joseph's brothers did. In the 11th hour, though, his, his brother Judah uh, raises his hand and says, Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's not kill him. That might be taking things just a little too far. Let's just sell him into slavery. <laughs> oh, thanks, Judah. That's a whole lot better, right? But that's what they did, right? They literally sell their brother to a group of traders who are coming from Canaan and going down to Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. They took this fancy robe that his father Jacob had given him and they ripped it up and they put some blood on it and took it to his dad and said, oh, a wild animal got Joseph. He's dead. We're so sorry. And we see Joseph goes down to Egypt as a slave and he's sold in a Potiphar's household and God is with him. In slavery. And, and so much so that God blesses him and he rises to power in Potiphar's household. And we think, okay, Joseph's finally getting his due. And then Potiphar's wife comes on to him. And because he doesn't go to bed with her, she accuses him, of, falsely accuses him of rape and throws him in prison. And the Bible says God abandoned him and left him in prison. No, that's not what it says, right? We talked about this last week. The Bible says, and God was with him in prison. God was with Joseph when he was sold into slavery, and God was with him when he was put into prison. And as you continue to read the story, you see the ups and the downs of Joseph's life are not dependent on what Joseph chooses to do or not to do, but on the goodness of God who is faithful to Joseph through the midst of all of it. So the story of Joseph challenges our assumptions about life and about God. And what we learn is that you cannot judge by your circumstances whether God is with you or not. Your circumstances aren't a good measure of God's love for you or if with God is with you. You could be under some of the worst circumstances in your life and God could be right there with you making a plan to turn it for your good and for his glory. 
That's why we talked about how Hebrews Hebrews 13.5 reminds us, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And what we were reminded of is that when God says never, he means never. You see, what we see in Joseph's life after almost 30 years of slavery is that God was with him through it all, through the good times and the hard times. And God continues to bless Joseph and bring about good in his life, even though he had to go through many difficult and painful circumstances. God is with Joseph in prison, and he finds favor ultimately with Pharaoh, who ultimately puts him in charge of the entire nation of Egypt, right? Because God gives him the ability to predict that there's going to be this terrible famine. And so he empowers Joseph to make plans to help the nation ride out this famine that's coming. And as a result of that, he's able to save his whole family and to bring them down to Egypt where they're welcomed and they're cared for and they're protected through this ravaging famine that comes and decimates the entire land. And at the end of Joseph's life, we see that God has restored almost everything in his life. His brothers, who he had predicted would bow down to him in a dream, right, actually have bowed down to him. And as Joseph is looking back at his life, you know, Joseph is now uh, retired, right? And he's sitting on his deck, and he's, he's contemplating life, and he's looking back at all of the hard changes that he's been through and where God has been in his life. And we pick up the story in chapter 50, of verse, uh, verses 15 to 21. And if Joseph is reflecting on his life, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so Jacob now, the patriarch, has passed away, They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Say, dad told you you had to do this. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. And spoke kindly to them. Now, if this were a Hollywood movie, is that how the story would end? Heck no, right? Joseph would have put him in prison. He'd get his vengeance. He'd get his comeuppance. He's now the most powerful man in the known world. And he forgives them and says, what you meant for harm, God intended for good. Hey, we're all good, guys. But you see, this is where the story of Joseph is intended to mess with our assumptions about the nature of life in this world and the nature of the God that we serve. God doesn't promise that when you say yes to Jesus, your life is going to be all roses and perfume. He says it's going to be hard. In fact, it might even be harder because if they persecuted me, they're probably going to persecute you. But even though it's hard, this is what I can promise you, it's going to be good. It might be hard, but it's going to be good. 
Because it's the life that I have designed for you. It's the life that I had intended for you. It's the presence and the power of my spirit at work in you, helping you to grow and to change, to become more and more like me. Like the God who is good and loving and righteous and perfect. When we follow God, we are not to trust in our own power, in our own goodness, but we're taught to trust in God's power and in his goodness in our lives. Even by being people of integrity and righteousness, if you think about it, that's what Joseph did, right? I mean, he, he kept his integrity. He lived a righteous life. And yet he experienced all of the pain and the suffering of broken and evil people in his own life. But neither the personal failures of other people or our own mistakes and shortcomings can stop the power of God to accomplish his plan and fulfill his purposes if we put our trust in him. See, that's the good news message of the Bible. All the way back here in Genesis, in the very beginning of the story of God's people, we are taught that it's God's power that accomplishes God's plan. It's not our power that accomplishes his plan. It's his power. And we're invited to receive that power in our lives as a gift. It's not about our ability to be good. Christianity was never about earning brownie points to get into heaven. Christianity was about recognizing that we're all fallen in and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only hope that we have is to rely on his power in our lives and to receive that simply as a gift. It's about God's ability to be good and our ability to put our trust in him. No matter how bad the circumstances may seem with God, things are not always as they seem. Let me say that one more time. No matter how bad the circumstances seem to be with God, things are not always as they seem. Sometimes life is tough. And we may feel like, hey, God, if you have a plan to work out your blessing in my life, you've sure got a funny way of showing it. You may feel like you're a slave uh, to a job that's unfulfilling in your life. Or, or you may be enslaved to a, a particular habit or an addiction that, that's eating you up from the inside out and you just can't seem to break free. You may be suffering in a very difficult economic situation with you and your family that you can't seem to get out of. You may feel misunderstood or falsely accused by someone who's close in your life. You may feel imprisoned by your own life circumstances without any clear pathway forward. With God, things are not always as they seem. And it's not about your ability to be good. It's not about your own power to change your life circumstances. It's about God's ability to be good and your ability to put your trust in him to bring about his goodness in your life. See, that's the good news message of Jesus. Jesus is God with us. Orson Scott Card, who wrote uh, Ender's Game, the book Ender's Shadow, has a wonderful quote. He says, do you know why Satan is so angry all the time? Because whenever he works a particular clever bit of mischief, God uses it to serve his own righteous purposes. Right? And that's the perspective that Paul gained from all the changes he went in his life. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, 
and have been called according to his purposes. See, while God's ways are often difficult for us to see in the moment, and we, like Moses, sometimes have a veil over our eyes, and and it's hard for us to discern where God is and what he's doing, and his timetable doesn't always work out in, in the same way that we would like it to because we prefer him to often move much more quickly, we can take heart because we know that God is with us and he works all things for our good and for his glory. See, if we put our trust in him, we will begin to experience the transformation of our lives by his power at work within us. So in order to keep the change in our lives, not only do we need to be teachable in the midst of change, we also need to be willing to run from temptation, to to lean into God as our stability so that we can put our trust in him and allow him to work the change in our lives. And that's when we experience true life transformation which is the goal. That's the goal of the whole thing. That's the goal of why Jesus came. That's the goal of why we come to church. That's the goal of the Christian life and why we say yes to following Jesus. Again, Paul said in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, before we wrap up this morning, I I think there's one more important point that we need to take away from all of this as a challenge and as an encouragement for us in order to keep the change. See, in order to experience the positive change of life transformation, we need to be able to keep the change that God works into our lives. To, To keep the change is to be transformed, which means that, that the new reality that God is working into our lives becomes the new normal for you and for me. You see, at, at some point, it's no longer a change that we're going through. It's a change that has occurred. We look back on our lives at some point and we realize that God has been present and God has been working. And because we put our trust in him, the change is no longer happening. It's now happened and we are changed. We are a different person than we were five years ago or 10 years ago or even last week. See, as a result of God's work in our lives, we ourselves experience the transformation of who we are into somebody that we are becoming. It becomes a part of our our way of thinking every day. It becomes a part of our way of behaving. It becomes a part of our lifestyle. Rather than something that we're aspiring to, it's something that is just part of the way we do things around here. Now, I, I'm a little reticent to share a little personal example, but, you know, truth be told, confession is good for the soul, right? When I was a younger man, I had shared recently that I spent a few years walking away from the Lord, and, and during that time, I swore like a sailor. And when I started to get back on track in my relationship with God, I recognized that it was a little hard to, to stop swearing because it had become just the way that I talked, right? It was a habit. In fact, what I realized when I wanted to begin to stop swearing and to change my behavior and how I talked, the first step is I, I had to be aware that I was even doing it because it was such a natural, normal part of how I talked. It was just a part of my vocabulary. It was after I had said a, a choice swear word that I had to go, oh, you know what? I just swore. 
And, and so for the first step, when we want to experience God's change in our life, awareness is really what we have to acknowledge, is that we have to simply become aware of those places where we are not following God's best plan for our lives. And, and then, you know, the next step is once you're aware uh, that, that you're, you're uh, swearing, then the next step is you have to catch yourself in the middle of swearing, Right? Because you, you, you can't just change overnight. So, so you, you, you come in and you're like, oh, shoot. And, and you make that change in the midst of, of, of the swear word. Because, you see, it's not about the four letters that make a difference, right? I mean, when we talk about sin, what is sin? I mean, sin in and of itself doesn't even really exist, Without good, there would be no sin. Without good, there would be no evil. Sin is simply a twisting of that which is good. And and, and so even in our language, God has given us language to communicate with one another and and to encourage one another and to communicate love and and grace and mercy. And yet we can twist what was good and we can use it for less than good purposes. And that's really what swearing is, right? It's not going to send you to hell if you use a choice four-letter word once in a while. But is it the best expression of God's righteousness and his goodness, right? Jesus said it's what comes out of our lives that indicates what's inside. And so the the words that you use and and, and the choices that you make in your life are all indicators of of where your heart is with God. And so, you know, when you want to quit swearing, it's it's not because God said so. It's because you want to be a, a good representative of God's goodness and his love in your life. And so the third step then is once you're able to catch yourself in the middle of it and and, and stop doing it, is then you have to catch yourself thinking in advance because we always think it before we say it, right? It's just we do it so fast we don't even realize we're thinking about it anymore. So so you think about it and what you do is you choose a different word. Oh, shnikes. That's a great word. Oh, shnikes, right? You pick your word and, and you replace the, the word that you don't want to say with the word that you want to say, and, and then you have a different option to choose from, right? And then the fourth step and the final step is repeat until it sticks, right? And so now, even though I will uh, occasionally drop a choice swear word once in a while just to shock people, did a pastor just say that? You know, just to show them that there's grace and there's mercy, and it's not about rule-keeping, right? It's about living into God's righteousness and choosing what's best for his lives. But after you repeat the word over and over again, you know what? I don't even think about not swearing anymore because it's just not part of my vocabulary. The new habit is it's something else. So now I get to do it when I want to. (laughs) Do we understand that for us as Christians, we have been set free from sin? And so there is no power that sin has over us that forces us to continue to live with sin in our lives. The reality is that for us as Christians, sin becomes habitual. It's a habit that we choose to live with. We have the power of Christ in our lives to overcome sin and to avoid sin in our lives, but it takes our willingness to allow God to motivate us through his love and his grace and his righteousness to do the work of allowing him to change our hearts and our minds. See, the key is the motivation for the effort. If the motivation to stop swearing or to overcome any other sin in your life is simply to be a good person, I'm going to tell you, you failed before you've begun. 
because you're not a good person. (laughs) But how often do you hear people who don't trust Jesus, who don't go to church, and and you ask them about, about, you know, life, and they'll say, well, I'm a good person. I'm generally a good person. When the reality is none of us are good in our own strength. We all sin and make mistakes, and we're all contributing to the mess of life in this world. We all need God's grace to overcome the brokenness of our lives so that we can experience more and more the glory of God in us and in our relationships. See, if the motivation is to to please God and to experience his goodness and his righteousness, now you're on track because you're never going to do it perfectly. But the problem is you don't have to do it perfectly, right? That's the good news is you can keep trying because you, you can start every new day fresh with God because every day God's grace and his mercy is with you to allow you to keep moving forward and growing into God's best plan for your life. We don't do it to make ourselves worthy. We do it because we recognize that God has already made us worthy by loving us even in our brokenness and our sin. His invitation in Christ Jesus is to allow his love and his grace in our lives to become the new motivating factor that puts us on track to his blessing to allow his love and his grace to change us from the inside out because we recognize that God's way is not only the right way, but it's the best way. Here's the challenge for us, though, this morning. And this is the hard part where the rubber meets the road in our faith with God. Genuine life transformation requires submission. Genuine transformation requires submission. And we, especially as Americans, don't like the idea of having to submit to anyone or anything. But submission to God's word and submission to Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives is the task that it takes to allow the Spirit of God and the power of God to change us from the inside out. That's why James says in chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But too often, if I truth be told in my own spirit, I want to resist God. But the problem is when I resist God and I don't submit to what he has revealed to be the truth and the best for my life, I am more susceptible to submit to the devil and to the temptations in my life. But when we willingly submit ourselves to God, because he's the only one that is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, he's the only one that is good enough for us to submit ourselves to and trust that he's going to have our best interests at heart, then we discover that we have the ability and the power to resist the temptations in our lives and to choose what is better and best from God's will and God's word. Submission is at the heart of discipleship to Jesus. Jesus called people not only to believe in him, but to follow him. Yet we resist this idea of submission. Too often, I think, we think of submission as being compulsory, right? People with power or authority over us force us to submit, and so we resist, and we want to maintain control in our lives. It's something that is, feels like it's imposed on us from the outside. It feels more like a have-to rather than a get-to, and yet the biblical idea of submission is something completely different. Do you realize and understand that the good news message of Jesus Christ is that God never forces himself on anyone? 
Christian submission is always something that we're invited to do, not forced to do. It's something that is voluntary. It's from the heart. When we say yes to Jesus, it's because he's proven himself to be worthy of that trust and worthy of our lives, that he's committed his whole self to us, and so we can commit our whole lives to him, knowing that he's going to take the mess of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. See, God invites us to consider the outcome of two different pathways in our lives, either walking in God's way or walking in our own way. And he's never going to force you to choose. He's going to invite you to recognize that his way is the best and to choose to say yes to Jesus in your life. See, when I submit myself to God, it's because I recognize that God's way is the best way. And I have come to trust in Jesus more than I trust in myself. How about you this morning? Do you think it might be possible that Jesus is more trustworthy with your life than you are with it? See, it's the same example that Jesus gave. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Philippians tells us. But he he humbled himself and he made himself a servant and he gave his life so that you and I could experience the same grace and power at work in our lives so that we too can experience the goodness of God's righteousness in our lives. Again, I don't know what season of change you may be going through today, this summer, sometime in your life, we're all going to experience change. But what I do know is this, whatever it is, you can trust God with it. And you can trust God to use it and to bless you in the midst of it and to change you in positive ways because of it if you're willing to put your whole trust in him. Would you pray with me? God, I, I confess this morning, I, I resist you all the time. I, I, I want to be able to say that I follow Jesus and that I believe in him, but there are so many times, God, when I want to maintain control and I want to make decisions for myself, even though I know they're not the best decisions that, as you've revealed them to be. So God, I need your forgiveness. And, and we as a broken and a fallen people need your grace and your forgiveness in our lives. Would you give us the courage to put our trust fully in you again? today. In the same way that that Jesus gave his whole life to bring us back to you, would you give us the courage and the strength to trust our whole lives to you and to allow you to begin to work in us, to change our hearts from from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, to to soften us up, to believe that, that your goodness and your righteousness isn't designed to restrict our lives, but to set us free. And as you free us up, God, would you give us the courage and the strength to love one another well. And in the midst of change, to trust you to use all things for our good and for your glory. And we will praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.